the Holy Spirit is just another one of the most misrepresented and misunderstood aspects of our faith. There's so much weirdness done in the name of the Holy Spirit, and I could regale you with tale after tale of weirdness done in the name of the Holy Spirit. I grew up in a weird, weird church when I was a kid, okay, weird church in South Africa, and to put it in perspective, I have seen the pastor's wife stage dive into the arms of the elders in church. I've seen it happen. So there's all kinds of weird things done. And the explanation that's given is, you know, the Holy Spirit was moving. It's like, wow, okay. Okay, so, so we got a whole large group of people and the thing the Holy Spirit most wanted to happen was for you to stage dive into the arms of the elders. Yes. So I had a very distorted view of the Holy Spirit growing up And it took some time to sort of get that on track. And as always, when you find yourself with a belief that is weird, the antidote is always going to the Word of God and asking the logical question, what does God actually say about it? What does He say about it in His Word? And so that's what we're going to look at today in our study. If you haven't experienced weird things done in the name of the Holy Spirit, then maybe you've experienced nothing about the Holy Spirit. Maybe the church or the background you come from, nobody ever talks about the Holy Spirit. They just have the stance, we don't want to mess with that stuff. It's too divisive. It's too weird. So let's, let's just ignore it. Let's just ignore it. Maybe that's your background. But today we want to debunk as many myths as we can about the Holy Spirit. And I want to introduce you to the Holy Spirit of the Bible, the, the Holy Spirit that Jesus relied on every moment he was on the earth. And the Holy Spirit who's my best friend and wants to be your best friend too. Let's dive right into our study. And so the most logical first question is simply, who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? And this is the first fill-in on your outline. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He's the third person of the Trinity. When we talk about God, we're talking about three unique individual beings that are also simultaneously one. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. And I'm not going to make a huge detour into talking about the Trinity because suffice to say, it cannot be explained in two minutes or less. And even when I finish explaining it, you would probably still be in the place of saying, I think I get, no, I don't, no, I don't get it, I don't get it. But they're three in one. It's a concept that we struggle to grasp. We struggle to wrap our heads around. But I also believe that as the Holy Spirit comes into us, he enables us to understand to some degree and to believe. So the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And we see the Trinity at various places in the Bible. If you read the book of Genesis, the very first book in the Bible, you'll find the Holy Spirit present at the creation of the universe. If you were here a couple of weeks ago when we studied the baptism of Jesus, we saw the Holy Spirit there descending on Jesus in a form that looked like a dove from heaven. In John 14, 16, Jesus says, And I, Jesus, will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, the helper being the Holy Spirit. John 14, 26, Jesus refers to the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Jesus, there's the Trinity again. In John 15, 26, Jesus says, but when the helper, the Holy Spirit comes, whom I, Jesus, shall send to you from the Father. And then there's what's known as the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19, which simply says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. 
And so you can see clearly in Scripture that the Trinity exists and the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. And that leads us to our next main fill-in and major point. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. Go ahead and write that down. The Holy Spirit is a person. And far too often, if we're honest, we think of the Holy Spirit as an it. Or we think of it as a force. My kids are Star Wars obsessed. And so my three-year-old just loves walking around all the time. And he'll see you and he'll just go, force! And if you're playing along, you're supposed to like fall over. Force! Force! I blogged on this. He's completely obsessed with the dark side, though. So I don't know what the spiritual implications of that are. Um, And he was walking around the other day. Uh, I put this on Facebook pretending to be Count Dooku because I said Darth Vader is apparently too mainstream. So he's seriously into the dark side of the force right now. And we tend to sometimes think of the Holy Spirit like that. You know, Star Wars has the force and we have the Holy Spirit. He's like this, this force for good, you know, that shows up and forces things, good things, you know. But the Holy Spirit is a person. And you'll notice that the Bible never refers to him as an it. Jesus always referred to he or him when talking about the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit has emotions, that it's possible to grieve the Holy Spirit. And it's important that we refer to the Holy Spirit as a person because if we don't, we'll never develop a personal relationship with him. You don't develop a personal relationship with an it, and you don't develop a personal relationship with a force. You develop a personal relationship with a person. And the Holy Spirit is a person. As the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God. Many of us understand the idea that the Father is God. We understand the idea that Jesus is God. But the idea that the Holy Spirit is God somehow seems a little bit strange. Sometimes it seems like he's a supplement and not really the third person of the Trinity. But the Holy Spirit is God. And perhaps we get confused because we tend to think of him as an it. And we think of him as being in a different class to the Father and the Son. But if you want to see this really clearly in the, in the Scriptures, it says in Acts 5.3 in the Bible, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart, watch this, to lie to the Holy Spirit? And then the next verse it says, you have not lied to men, but to God. But to God. The Holy Spirit is God. And after Jesus had been crucified and put in the grave, I don't know if you've ever put yourself in the position of the disciples before. We kind of think they they maybe took a little time off. You know, they've been doing the disciple thing for a while, so they just chilled while Jesus was in the grave. The truth is the disciples were terrified. They still really didn't understand what was to take place. They didn't understand that Jesus was going to return from the grave and come back to life, they were terrified. They were huddled in a home. They were expecting the authorities to come and kill them just as they killed Jesus. They were absolutely terrified. And even when they hear Jesus has risen from the grave, they don't buy it at first. They don't buy it. And then the Bible tells us that Jesus just appeared in his midst. He's no longer in his earthly body. He's in his resurrected, glorified body. This is like his God body is the best way I can put it not bound by the same limitations that our physical bodies are. So Jesus just shows up in the room, in the middle of the room. He's just there all of a sudden. And the disciples are freaked out, and then they realize it's Jesus, and Jesus talks to them. 
And one of the things Jesus does, it says, in the Gospel of John in the Bible, it says he breathes on the disciples and he says the words, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. And in that moment, the disciples are saved. They're saved. It also says in Ephesians in the Bible that when you and I become followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is the seal that marks our lives. It's the mark that identifies us as belonging to Jesus. And when items were shipped at the time most of the canon was written in the New Testament, if you were going to ship an item, you'd probably travel with it. So you'd have your crates, you'd have your boxes, and you would have a giant signet ring, one of the original bling items if you were a person of means and you would put some rope or string around your crate around the package you'd put a glob of wax on there you'd stick your signet ring in there then the wax would dry and your emblem would be there you travel with all your items get to the next port when you got off you'd say hey i'd like my stuff i was traveling with you would show the ring they would match it to the seal and then the cargo would be yours And that's the image that we're given of what happens when we're saved. It says the Holy Spirit is the seal that Jesus puts on our lives, marking us as his, to let us know that no matter how stormy the journey, how difficult the circumstances, we're going to make it to the end of our journey, and he is going to claim us as his own at the end of the journey. We belong to him, and he's a God who never breaks a promise. And he says in Ephesians that this seal is his promise. It's the promise of salvation. And that's what happens when we see Jesus breathe on the disciples. He's sealing them with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit doesn't seal us and leave. We've got to understand this. The Holy Spirit is the seal of our salvation. It's not that the Holy Spirit comes and does something external. He is the seal. His presence inside us is our seal of salvation. It's the mark of every son and daughter of God. So how do you know you're saved? How do you know if you've been sealed? The Bible tells us in Romans 8, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So in other words, the Holy Spirit inside of you confirms to you that you are a child of God. The most simple way to say this is if you're saved, you'll know you're saved. If the Holy Spirit is in you, you'll know the Holy Spirit is in you. One of the things we're going to find out that the Holy Spirit does is when we walk away from God, when we rebel against God, the Holy Spirit inside of us works to pull us back to God, to try and convince us that we need to return. And so I want to let you know, if you can walk away from God, if you can rebel against God, and there's nothing that goes on on the inside of you, there's no check, there's no conviction, there's nothing, then you might not be saved. Then you need to really examine yourself. Because as Christians, we're just as capable of sinning as everybody else. The difference is when we do it, the Holy Spirit within us says, you gotta come back. Come back to God. Repent. Stop what you're doing. Come back. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The pastor who uh, I trained under for about the past seven and a half years before we returned to Canada always had a great insight. He would say, you know, when someone walks away from the faith, If you want to know if they belong to God, remember the Bible says that God disciplines those that he loves. So wait and see. Does God step into their life? Does discipline come into their life? Is the Holy Spirit convicting them? Are they miserable? Are they rebelling? But the truth is they're not happy. Or do they walk away smiling and laughing and sleep soundly at night? If it's the latter, then you need to ask, listen, is is the Holy Spirit really inside that person? So if the Holy Spirit is inside of you, you'll know. 
you'll know because he draws you back to God again and again when we walk away from him. You know if you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. In the Bible, in the Gospel of John, we can read the conversation that Jesus had with his disciples at the Last Supper. This was their last real time of fellowship being together before the series of events started that would result in Jesus being crucified and executed on the cross. They have this Last Supper together, and you can read about it in chapters 14, 15, and 16 of the Gospel of John. And it's amazing because Jesus lays out some incredible wisdom and insight for them. You've probably seen the famous Da Vinci painting of the Last Supper. Jesus is in the middle. The disciples are on every side. And Da Vinci's not in the painting because he was in the corner of the room painting it at the time. I'm, I'm just kidding. If you know yours, okay, I'm just kidding. But in John 14, 15, and 16, he tells his disciples something amazing. He tells them something amazing. He says, listen, guys, I'm, I'm going away. They still don't really get it. He says, I'm going away. Don't be troubled. Don't be troubled. Just believe in me. Know that I'm going to prepare a place for you in heaven, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send another like I am. I'm, I'm going to send someone else. And he introduces them to the person of the Holy Spirit for the first time. We're going to meet this person of the Holy Spirit who's described in Scripture as the helper. In John chapter 14, if you want to flip there in your Bibles, we're going to pick it up. John chapter 14 Verse 16, John 14, 16. Jesus says, and I will pray the Father. The Greek word for pray there actually means ask, which makes this make a little more sense. So Jesus is saying, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. You might want to underline helper. That he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. We see a picture there of just the fact that the Trinity are three in one. Jesus is telling them the Holy Spirit's gonna come to them, but he also says, I will come to you because they are one. Other translations, instead of the helper, will say the comforter, the counselor. Maybe your Bible says the advocate. The original Greek word being used is parakletos, parakletos. And para simply means alongside, and kletos means to walk. So Jesus is literally saying, I'm going to send someone to walk alongside you. I'm going to send someone to walk alongside you. And that's the Holy Spirit. And those verses say, for he dwells with you and will be in you. That is an incredible promise from Jesus. Skipping ahead to John 14, 25, the term the helper shows up for the second time. As Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. You can put this on your outline. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. He is our teacher. Everything we learn, we learn from the Holy Spirit. And the reason the Bible is so much more than a book to you and I is because when we sit down and read the Bible, when the Holy Spirit is on the inside of us, the helper, the one who walks alongside us, is coming alongside us and supernaturally teaching us as we study God's Word. There's no other book for whom that is true. 
Only God's word. The Holy Spirit comes alongside us and teaches us as we read. He helps us see our lives in God's word. He helps the word of God speak to us. In John 15, we're going to skip ahead. John 15, 26, the term the helper shows up for the third time. As Jesus says, but when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. Simply put, the Holy Spirit leads us to the truth and reveals more of Jesus. The Holy Spirit leads us to the truth and reveals more of Jesus. We move ahead to John 16. John 16, 7. The term the helper shows up for the fourth time as Jesus shares this amazing truth with the disciples. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. When Jesus says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, what he's saying is he's saying, listen, what I'm about to tell you, you're going to have trouble believing this at first. But it's true. You can take it to the bank. Hang with me. He says, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. They must have been thinking, Jesus, how in the world can anything be better than you? How in the world can anything be better than having, having you right here? Or we might have had the same thought. What would be better than having Jesus on the earth right now? But the most practical explanation is that if Jesus was on the earth right now, he could only be in one spot at one time. If you were facing an overwhelming circumstance and dealing with despair and discouragement, maybe there'd be a phone number you can call and, you know, his assistant would be like, I'm sorry, Jesus is uh, helping Christians who are being martyred right now in Africa, kind of more important than your thing. Oh, okay, okay. Jesus could only be in one place at one time. If you wanted to have a conversation with someone about Jesus, you would know that he couldn't be there to help you. He couldn't give you the words to say because he's on the other side of the earth. He's helping somebody else. The Holy Spirit is inside every single believer all the time at the same time. Wherever you go, whatever you do, the Holy Spirit is with you, dwelling, residing, living inside of you. That is better. That really is better. It's so much better. Even more amazing, the the Bible tells us that we are now the temple of God because the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. We are the temple of God. And this is where it begins to get even more profound. Not only does this mean that we're never alone, but the Holy Spirit is always with us. It means that we can take God's presence anywhere we go. We take God's presence anywhere we go. When, when you go to work, you are bringing God's presence into your work environment. He's there because you're there. When you go to school, you are bringing God's presence into the classroom. When you go home, you are bringing God's presence into your home. When you go shopping, you are bringing God's presence into Walmart. No matter how hard it might be to find that item or how frustrating the experience might be, You're bringing God's presence there or wherever you shop. If we really understand this, we'll begin to understand that wherever we are is holy ground. Wherever we are is holy ground. Because as wild as it sounds, the Bible tells us we are holy because of what Jesus has done in us. 
We are holy because the Holy Spirit, God, is inside of us, with us, where we are right now. And so maybe when we go into hostile spiritual environments, we need to modify our thinking. And instead of thinking God's at church or God is at home where I had my quiet time this morning to remember that, listen, God is here. And I'm bringing God here. His power, his peace, his authority, his presence, his spirit is here because he's in me and I'm here. We can embrace the reality that he is in us. And I think when we understand this, our our view of church begins to become a little bit bigger too. When you suddenly begin to realize, listen, the Holy Spirit is inside of you, inside of you, inside of you inside of you. You're a temple of God. You're a temple of God. You're a temple of God. And when we are all together in one place at one time, the Holy Spirit is there. God is there because we are there and he is in us. And this moment, this this gathering, this isn't just a meeting. This is a holy moment. This is a holy moment. And this is a holy place, not because this is the Poco Inn and Suites but because we are here. And because we are here, God is here because he's in us. This is a holy moment. Anything is possible where God's spirit is, where God's presence is. In John 16, verse 12, it says this. This is amazing. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Jesus is telling the disciples, he says, listen, the Holy Spirit is even going to tell you the future. The Holy Spirit's going to tell you things I haven't even told you yet. And you know how we know that's true? Because we have the rest of the New Testament after the four Gospels. And that's what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, listen, there's more to come. I'm going to tell you more. And it's recorded in the New Testament. The most glaring example would be the Apostle John's book of Revelation. All these things that are to come. But even now, this continues to be true for believers. I don't know if you know this, but there's been an explosion in our understanding of biblical prophecy over the last 50 years to 100 years, especially the last 50 years. There's so much in Scripture that was considered allegorical because it was simply incomprehensible to this point. Things like an army of 100 million coming out of the East was very hard to comprehend when there weren't 100 million people on the earth. Today we know that's the size of China's military. It's no big deal at all. And so the Holy Spirit continues to help us see things in the Word of God that apply to our time that we need to understand in our time. He's keeping that promise on a consistent basis. A few more things about the Holy Spirit I want you to know. Firstly, He is my helper. He's my helper. I do this all the time as a pastor. Have you ever had a situation where you're talking with someone, a believer or a non-believer, and, and they're sharing a situation with you and you just don't know what to say? You don't know what to say. In that moment, I really hope you don't quote the poem Footprints. You know, well, you know, um, there were two people walking on a beach. And, uh, but you ever been in those moments where you just don't know what to say because there, there is nothing to say? 
I'm going to give you a, a huge pastoral tip here. This is an inside scoop. There are some magic words that you always say in that situation when you have no response. I'm going to tell you what the magic words are. The magic words are, let's pray. Let's pray. Those are the magic words. And you have nothing to say. And I hope that you've had the opportunity to have the experience of praying with someone and suddenly you know what to say. Suddenly you know what to pray. That is the Holy Spirit in that moment coming in and giving you the words to say. Because the truth is, when you and I say, let's pray, that's really code for, we need God on this. We need God on this. So instead of fumbling with our own intellect and our own supposed insights, we just say, listen, I got nothing for you. But I know the one who does. Let's pray and ask the helper. Let's do that. That is the Holy Spirit at work. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives us what the Bible calls the mind of Christ. The Holy Spirit allows us to think like Jesus if we'll let him. As a husband, I am so thankful for the Holy Spirit. I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit. Um, I wish that I listened to the Holy Spirit more. I don't know if you've ever had the experience where sometimes you're about to say something to your spouse and the Holy Spirit's like, you don't want to do that. Just, Just don't. Just don't do that. And you're like, but... He's like, mm-mm, 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 just don't do that. And the Holy Spirit's like, you know what you should do? Just go, just go quietly put some dishes away. Just go do that. Just go do some, do some vacuuming or something like that. Okay, just go do that. And the Holy Spirit leads in these moments where we're just not that bright. Let me tell you, if you're a man, you're a husband, you need the Holy Spirit in your marriage, all right? You need the Holy Spirit in your, in your marriage. If you're a woman, you need the Holy Spirit in your marriage. The key to a great marriage, the key to a great marriage more than anything is listening to the Holy Spirit. The truth is we don't even know how to be kind to our spouses. We don't even know. We just don't know. Holy Spirit is the one who can guide us in that. And so more than any technique, more than anything else, if you can have the Holy Spirit guiding your relationships, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. The Holy Spirit is the helper all the time. And he helps us as much as we'll let him. He helps us as much as we'll let him. On that same point that the Holy Spirit is my helper, John 16, 8 and 9 says this. It says, when he, the Holy Spirit, has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness, and of judgment of sin, because they do not believe in me. The word convict here simply means convince. It means convince. And then Jesus goes on to explain each of these three terms, and he gives a because statement for each of them. So look at verse 9. Look at verse 9. The only reason the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin in the first place is because we don't believe. He's not trying to make us feel bad when we don't know Jesus. He's trying to help us understand that we need a Savior. In 1 Corinthians in the Bible, it says that no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The only way we can get saved is to understand that we need a Savior. There's no point asking a person who doesn't even believe they need a Savior, do you want to get saved? Their response is going to be, from what? From what? They don't even know that they need saving. So the first thing the Holy Spirit does is he comes to convict us, to convince us that we need a Savior. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And there's nothing honestly more helpful than that. 
There's nothing more helpful than that. You may have heard that the Bible says there is one unforgivable sin. The sin of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. To blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. And that is true. The Bible says that. So, so what does that mean? And there's all kinds of misunderstandings. There's people who think that it's to say that phrase. That's not what it is at all. To blaspheme against the Holy Spirit is to continually reject the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. So the Holy Spirit is coming alongside you to convince you that you need a Savior, and you keep saying, no, I don't. No, I don't. No, I don't. God says, listen, that's unforgivable because you can't come to the Savior if you reject the Holy Spirit trying to convince you of your need for a Savior. There is no way around that. You cannot reject the Holy Spirit. In verse 10, Jesus goes on to say that the Holy Spirit convicts of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. So Jesus created a connection between the Father and us. Through him, we have a perfect relationship with the Father. We couldn't have any type of relationship with the Father unless Jesus had paid for our sin. Our sin was the barrier between us and the Father. So the Holy Spirit comes to convince, to convict us of righteousness. So he comes to convince us of righteousness. Being in a position of being right, being righteous before the Father because of what Jesus did. In other words, you can never be good enough to become righteous on your own. You can't become righteous by trying to be good. You can never be good enough for God's standards. The Bible even says that our attempts to be righteous on our own are like filthy rags to the Father. That's the term the Bible uses. It says, listen, your best efforts to be good enough on your own without Jesus, it's like filthy rags. That's the comparison. The Bible says it is the righteousness of Jesus that he gives us as a gift that saves us. So the Holy Spirit comes to convince us of righteousness, to convince us that because of Jesus, we can be right with God, to convince us of that truth. And then when you look at verse 11, here's the third thing that it says the Holy Spirit convicts or convinces of, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. And that's referring to Satan. If, if you were here last week, you, you learned that Satan is the one ruling the earth at the moment and has been since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. If you missed that, listen to last week's message so you can understand it. But when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, Satan was judged and the end result of the world was set in stone. Let me tell you how it ends. Satan loses and Jesus wins, which means we win. Can you say amen to that? Can you say amen to that? So this is what it says. For many verses, including John 12, 31, before Jesus goes to the cross, he says, now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. So the third thing the Holy Spirit convicts or convinces us of is the truth that Jesus has won. Satan is defeated and God will set all things right. Satan has no more power of us. So the Holy Spirit comes to convince us of our sin, that we need a savior. He comes to convince us that we can be saved because of the righteousness of Jesus. And he comes to convince us that the end result is set in stone. Satan is already judged. We can be free from his power and free from the power of sin. I used to think that the Holy Spirit comes to convict or convince me that I'm a horrible person. I used to think he, he comes to convince me that I'm not living right and God is going to get me. He's going to get me. I used to think that's what the Holy Spirit did. 
you ever been in that place where you know you're not where you should be with God? And, and so anytime you have the opportunity to enter into worship, you keep your distance because you don't want to be convicted. Anybody ever done that? Or maybe you just stay a little bit checked out when you're at church just because you don't want to deal with it. Because you think, listen, God's going to like yell at me. He's going to yell at me is what he's going to do. The truth is that the Holy Spirit always comes in incredible kindness, incredible kindness to convince us that we need to be right with God, that it is the best way to live, that it is the most free way to live. Everything that drives the agenda of the Holy Spirit is rooted in incredible kindness toward you and I. Secondly, you can put this on your outline, the Holy Spirit is my friend and he's not weird. He's my friend and he's not weird. We sometimes think that he's weird because we've seen some weird people. But let me tell you something about weird people. They'd be weird without the Holy Spirit. (laughs) They're just weird people, right? I don't know if this is news to you, but there are lots of weird people on the earth. So when you get weird people and you put them in a weird church, things get weird. When a weird person starts a church, you have a weird church. When weird people run a church, it's a weird church. They're just weird people. If they play on a baseball team, they're probably weird there too. They're just weird. I told you I went to a a wacky Pentecostal church. So uh, I've seen things like, you know, the pastor would would do things like, he'd say, listen, in a moment, I'm going to blow softly into this microphone. And when I do, the Holy Spirit is going to blow through this room. Just weird. Just really, really weird. You're like, really? The Holy Spirit is dependent upon wind power, you know? Oh, okay, that's one way to do it. I told you about the stage diving thing, and uh, any time that our church wanted something, like a building, uh, we would go Jericho march around it, which basically means you march around it seven times, like the Battle of Jericho, which I always thought was counterproductive because if the Bible was fulfilled in that moment, the building you wanted would just fall down. But we would do this. We would do Jericho marches around. um, And there was all kinds of weirdness that would go on that I was a part of because I just didn't understand the Holy Spirit. And I remember having a friend come to church with me and he's just looking around like, what is going on here? What is going on? And it was just, it was weird. But the Holy Spirit's not weird. Weird people are weird. Weird people are weird. The Holy Spirit is a wonderful, kind person, and you can be on doctrinally sound ground and believe in the Holy Spirit. You don't have to be weird to believe in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in the Bible. So let me ask you a big question. Who, Who do you think made us afraid of the Holy Spirit? Who do you think made us afraid of the Holy Spirit? That's right. It's Satan. Who else would make us afraid of the one who empowers us to live the Christian life and teaches us all things? Who who else would make us afraid of the one who guides us and walks alongside us? This is the agenda of Satan to just say, don't deal with the Holy Spirit because he doesn't want us empowered by the Holy Spirit. He doesn't want you to experience the incredible work of the Holy Spirit working through you to touch the lives of other people. He's got an agenda. 
And you know what he does, he, he loves to do, is he loves to put the focus on one gift. He loves to put the focus on the gift of tongues. And, and we're going to talk about that in the next two weeks. And some of you know my stance on tongues, which is I believe it's inappropriate before marriage. But we're going to talk about this in the next couple of weeks. It took you guys a second right there. Okay. We're going to talk about this over the next two weeks because tongues is a gift of the Spirit. We're going to explain it. It's not weird. It's biblical. But what Satan loves to do is he loves to put an emphasis on it and freak everybody out. It's nothing to be freaked out or weirded out about. It's in the Bible. It's biblical. We're going to explain that over the next couple of weeks and hopefully debunk some myths that have weirded people out over the centuries. Scripture actually tells us that the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is four things. The first one is power. The first evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is power. A power that's not your own, a power to live the Christian life that is greater than anything you could muster on your own. We're going to talk about that as well next week when we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The second evidence of being filled with the Spirit is love. Many of us know 1 Corinthians 13. If you have had any experience with weddings, it's the money chapter for weddings, right? 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient, love is kind, love is, love is, love is. A lot of us miss this. 1 Corinthians 12 is about the use of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 14 is about the abuse of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And right in between them is this chapter on love. It's not talking about general love. It's talking about the fact that everything the Holy Spirit does, every gift that he gives us, is designed to be used in love and operated in, in love. That's why Paul says at the end of 1 Corinthians 13, he says, listen, if I have all the gifts, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. I'm useless. So the second evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is love. The third evidence is fruit. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. And again, it's very interesting. Most biblical scholars will tell you, if you know the verse, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Most of us grew up believing this is one list, but but how it's really written in the original language is that the fruit of the Spirit is love. Fruit, singular, love. And then all of those other words are descriptive words of love. They should really be in parentheses. So the fruit of the Spirit is love. What does love look like? Patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, all these things. That's the fruit of the Spirit, the byproduct of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Fourthly, the other evidence is gifts. Gifts of the Holy Spirit that he gives to us for the benefit of the church and the building up of our faith and others. And we're going to talk about those in a couple of weeks. So don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit. He's not weird. He's not weird. And a lot of people love to tack on a lot of extra things that aren't in the Bible about the Holy Spirit. But for you and I, the Holy Spirit is the active agent of the Trinity in our lives. He's the helper who comes and walks alongside us. He leads us in all truth. He points to Jesus. He helps us in our moments of weakness. He helps us every moment of every day if we'll let him. He empowers us. He strengthens us. He is God within us, sealing us for salvation, guaranteeing that the presence of God is with us everywhere we go. So what does this mean? It means perhaps firstly, (coughs) every single one of us, can stop praying, God be with me. Because he is with you. He is with you. He is with me. 
And you'll begin to realize as you walk with God that there are so many things that we ask God for that we really should be thanking him for because he's already done them. So I encourage you, as you go into a situation where you want God to be with you, build your faith by thanking God that he is in you. He is with you. Thank him that he's already there. He's not somewhere else and you're asking him to come in. He's in you. Thank him for that and it'll begin to change the way that you think. And you'll find that you no longer feel things like, I just just don't feel like God is with me. When you begin to understand the truth that he he is with you. He, He said he'd never leave. He said he'd never leave. He's in you at all times. So thank him for that. Would you bow your head and, and close your eyes? And as we, uh, as we prepare to pray, since we have our eyes closed, I, I just want to ask every single one of us to ask the Holy Spirit right now, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me through this message? What are you saying to me through this message? And you might hear something in your spirit right now if you're a new believer and you have no idea what that means. It means God might be putting a thought in your mind right now that you can just sense is from Him. It's from Him. So just ask the Holy Spirit, is there anything you want to say to me? Anything you want to say to me? Keep your eyes closed. Stay focused on the Holy Spirit. We spoke earlier about the Holy Spirit who loves us enough to convict us, to convince us that we need a Savior. If that's what the Holy Spirit is doing in your heart right now, if you can sense that you know He's not there yet, but right now the Holy Spirit is convincing me that I need a Savior and I need to respond, then you need to say yes. You need to say, yes, I I need Jesus. I need to give my life to Him. I want to give everything to Jesus today. I want to make Him the Lord of my life. If that's where you are, the the Holy Spirit is helping you right now. He's being who He is. He's being the helper. So as we keep our eyes closed and our head bowed, I'm going to ask that we all pray this together out loud after me. And if you're not a believer, you don't need to say this. But I hope that you will. I hope that you'll choose to respond. Let's just pray this out loud after me. Holy Spirit, thank you for being my helper. Thank you for showing me how much I need Jesus. Thank you for leading me to Jesus so that I could be forgiven and made righteous. Thank you that you are in me. Thank you that your power is in me. Thank you that I'm free. Please lead me every moment of every day. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me.